0: We are continuing our series, uh, Sojourn, through the book of 1 Peter. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8. And so would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We will continue through verse 12 this morning. Peter writes this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, For for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And Father, would you be with us now? Would you open up our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that we would not only receive something intellectually, that we would change our minds about a topic or issue, but that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would change our hearts, that we would be transformed, more conformed into the image of the Son than when we first came in, and that as we leave this place, we would know deeply the ways that you've blessed us and our calling to be a blessing to the world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Last weekend, my wife, Jenny, and I had a garage sale Some of you are already laughing. After a few years of uh, living on the M streets in East Dallas, we'd accumulated so much stuff that it was finally time to purge. And I'm not sure how many of you have had a garage sale before. Uh, We were not prepared. That is safe to say. We did not know what we were getting ourselves into, and we tapped into this garage sale culture that i did not know existed and quite frankly i would be okay if i had never known existed and some of you know what i'm talking about because you're part of that culture for starters okay we so we said that the garage sale would start at 8 a.m people were lined up in our driveway at seven okay all of our stuff in our backyard we're going to do it in the front they were they had walked all the way past our driveway And they were looking through our gate to see if they could spy whatever we had back there. Okay. And that would be fine. Except that's exactly where our master bedroom is. Right? So the window is looking out. these people are just lined up, just waiting to get a sneak peek. And as we finally, you know, open for business, so to speak at 8am hundreds, I mean, seriously hundreds and hundreds of people descended on our front yard, rifling through our stuff, seeing if they could find the next hand me down treasure. And it was absolute chaos uh, for the next several hours. And honestly, it was a lot of fun. But as things began to kind of die down and people began to leave, a man rode up on his bicycle. And by all appearances, uh, it looked like he was homeless and that it looked like he was carrying all of his possessions on himself and on his bike. And as he came up, uh, he was wearing this orange uh, construction vest, right? Right. Uh, to be safe so that cars would know where he was. And it was clear that this is probably the way that he spent a lot of his Saturdays, uh, going from house to house, garage cell to garage cell, seeing what he could find. And um, what I found, though, is he had not come to our house that morning for books or for clothes. He came for conversation. For the sake of this morning, we'll call him Dave. And I found Dave to be incredibly articulate, very smart, well-educated, and he was filled with doubt. He had lots of questions, lots of ponderings. You could tell he thought a lot about life and a lot about the world. Our conversation quickly moved to what we believed. Dave told me that if he believed in anything at all, he'd believe in something like reincarnation. And then Dave asked me what I believed. And I looked in Dave's eyes and I told him that I believe in a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die and to rise again so that all who believe in him would have eternal life. And Dave looked at me, and he told me he'd heard that story before. And he was filled with doubt, filled with questions, questions that I'm sure a lot of you have asked before, questions I've asked before. Like, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or if you can't see God, then how can you tangibly know that he's actually there? But the question that had Dave most stuck surprised me. His question is this. He said, I know that the Christian teaching is to love your enemies. But how am I supposed to do that as a man exposed on his bicycle when somebody seeks to harm me or do me wrong? What am I supposed to do when somebody's against me? Am I supposed to just love them anyways? It's a great question. A question that honestly we've all wrestled with since we were really, really young. Right? From that moment that you were holding a block in your hand and another kid just snatched it right out. And when you were playing on the playground and another child came up and kicked you in the shin. Or colored in your coloring book. Or took a toy. You can tell I have young children, right? And in that moment, you had this feeling well up inside of you that is carried along with you into adulthood. This deep desire to get even. Payback. Retribution. You see, deep down, we all want revenge. And I think what Dave was asking last Saturday morning What we all need to ask ourselves is, what does it look like when revenge is completely antithetical to the Christian message? That we are called specifically as Christians not to pay somebody back for the evil that they do to us. Not only that, but we are actually called to go an extra mile and to bless them, to love them anyways. How do we do that? How do we bless other people, whether they bless us or whether they bruise us? As we continue our study through 1 Peter this morning, Peter is turning his attention away to very specific instructions, specific instructions about politics, about servanthood, about marriage. And now he's focusing on something more general for all Christians everywhere, Peter is calling us, as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, to be a blessing. To be a blessing in a broken world. And this morning, I want to look at this in three ways. First is this. We are called to bless those who bless us. Second, we are called to bless those who curse us. And finally, and most importantly... We are called to bless because Christ has blessed us. And in these three ways, we will see that our calling as sojourners, as exiles in Christ, is to be a countercultural blessing in a broken world. First way we'll see this is, is we are called to bless those who bless us. All right, I want you to look with me at verse 8. and This is what Peter says. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, the word finally here that Peter uses is probably better translated ultimately or in summary. And I say all that that to say this, that what Peter's doing here is completing a much longer thought that began all the way in chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And then he begins to unpack that thought, what it looks like to be a sojourner, to be an exile, to abstain from the passions of the flesh in very specific ways, right? So how to be a sojourner, how to be countercultural in the way that we are like Jesus Christ. So specifically, Peter addresses politics, that we are to be countercultural in our politics, countercultural then in the way that we view the household, particularly as servants and as leaders, we are to be countercultural in the way that we view marriage. But now what Peter is doing is saying, ultimately, all of these things find their footing in our primary calling as Christian sojourners that we are called to be a blessing in a broken world. Okay, so what does that look like? What does it look like to be a blessing? What does it look like to bless another person? To better understand our calling to be a blessing, we must go all the way back to one of the first sojourners in the Bible, a man named Abraham. Now, if you need a visual of what Abraham was like, he was... In the desert, living in the desert, he had a beard a lot like mine right there, really strong, really good looking. And this is what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land. I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In other words, God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you offspring as numerous as the stars. Kings are going to come from you. I'm going to give you land for an everlasting possession, a legacy of nations that come from you, Abraham, all for one purpose, that through you, I would bless the entire world. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. So Peter, picking up on that theme in verse 8, shows us what this blessing looks like. And first and foremost, we're called to bless those who bless us. In other words, we're called to bless one another. That in the community of faith, in the church of Jesus Christ, this of all places should be a place of blessing where we are mutually seeking to bless one another. What does that look like? Well, Peter gives us five examples. First, Peter says that we are called to have unity of mind. Look at verse 8. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So he says you are called to bless one another by having unity. Notice it's not uniformity. He's not saying you're supposed to be just like each other as a church. No, you're called to, even in your differences, not to be divided for the sake of your mutual union with Jesus Christ. But you're also called to be sympathetic to one another, to bless one another with your sympathy, with your understanding, with your compassion, that you would bear one another's burdens. That you're called to bless one another with brotherly love, the word Philadelphia. He's used this word before. In other words, We're to treat each other like family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And to love one another in the same way that we love our very own families. We're called to bless one another with a tender heart. To forgive one another in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. Lastly, we're called to bless one another in humility. That we would not look at ourselves more highly than we ought, but that we'd lay our lives down for one another in the same way that Christ laid his life down for us. So in all these ways, Peter says, we are called as the church of Jesus Christ to bless one another. And these blessings are supposed to flow through us, right? That's our call. In many ways, this is why we set up our worship services the way that we do, right? We begin by reminding one another of the blessings that we have in God through Jesus Christ. But we don't just receive the blessings of God when we come to worship on Sundays, We're also called to bless one another in the way that we pray for one another, the way that we respond to our liturgy with one another, the way that we confess our sins together, the way that we are sent out in the benediction. What that means for us practically is that you are here this morning and you are a part of Park City's Presbyterian Church not only to receive a blessing. You are here to be a blessing, to be a blessing to those around you. And the problem, if we're gonna be honest this morning, is that pushes against our consumeristic sensibilities. You see, you and I, we live in a consumeristic culture, don't we? In many ways, you could say we live in a consumer city. And if any of you have ever taken our union class before, you've heard me talk about this. There are more shopping malls per capita in Dallas than any other city in America. More restaurants per capita in New York City. We don't have anything better to do in Dallas than to buy stuff, right? We live in a consumeristic culture. And we'd be fools if we didn't recognize that this infiltrates our churches as well. The church is not a place of consumption. It's not a commodity to consume spiritual goods and services. The church is a people who have been called called to be blessed by Jesus Christ so that you could be a blessing and if that wasn't hard enough the call to be a blessing to those within the church Peter does not stop there he says no you are also called to be a blessing of those outside the church in particular you are called to bless those who curse you so that's our second point this morning a calling To bless those who curse us. Look with me at verse 9. Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And this is a theme that's not unique to Peter. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. And of course, all of this is rooted in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said this, he said in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who revile you. Love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. On the contrary, bless. This is a countercultural calling. And maybe I would say one of the most profound teachings of Christianity that everybody has heard of, but almost nobody thinks about. What does this really look like? What does it look like to bless someone who curses you? What does it look like to love an enemy? For starters, who is our enemy? And how do we love them? A man named David Nassar is a Arab-Palestinian Christian. And he runs a small farm outside of Bethlehem. It's called the Tent of Nations. And every summer, Nassar leads a creative art camp uh, for children who are Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. And he teaches them to strive for peace in the region in the way that they befriend one another, hoping that in the generations to come, they would see peace. At the opening gate of their farm, there's a giant painted rock that says this, we refuse to be enemies. And since 1991, the Nassar family has been persecuted, has been threatened with violence, the threat of their land being taken away from them, and his response has been to consistently follow the command To love your enemies. So I wonder, who are your enemies? Because I think sometimes we get stuck there. We get stuck there for a lot of different reasons. Perhaps some of us get stuck there because when you think of your enemy, perhaps you think of enemies of the state, like ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Or an enemy of somebody who robs you or actually harms you physically. And you think, well, what am I supposed to do? What should our government do? Is this saying that we should just love and not defend ourselves? Now, I think Peter and the Bible make it very clear. There are always to seek justice. Peter says it this way in verse 13 and 14. He says, God has sent governors to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, we we worship a God of justice, but what I want you to see this morning is we do not worship a God of revenge. And there is a big difference between justice and revenge. Justice is selfless. It seeks the common good. It seeks to make wrongs right in the world. But revenge is selfish. It's all about personal gain. Its goal is to get even, to harm somebody else, For the harm that's been done to you. God is not a God of revenge. He is a God of justice. And so what does it mean then to love our enemies? Perhaps we need to make the word enemy a bit closer to home. Do you have enemies at work? People that rub you the wrong way. People that have taken a deal from you that you've worked on for months or perhaps even a year. So there's somebody in your life that's ripped you off, done something selfish, a friend who suddenly betrayed you behind your back, a family member who's done you wrong, a stranger who questions your motive just because you're a Christian. What does it mean to love people like that? Well, again, I think Peter gives us context. He says do not repay evil with evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. In other words, don't seek to harm someone else because they do harm to you. Don't answer somebody's sin against you with sin against them. But what I want you to see this morning is what Peter is doing is more than just a command of don't. It's not enough that we would not repay evil with evil. No, Peter says go even further. Not just don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Repay evil with goodness and grace. And so where there is division, we are called to bring unity. Where there is condemnation, we are called to bring sympathy. We are called to repay hatred with love, to answer insult with kindness, to respond to arrogance with humility to bring light into the darkness, to bring blessing to a world of brokenness. My friends, this is what it means to be countercultural, that in a broken world, we would bring the blessings of God. Okay, so still, how do we do that? What does that look like? Because I still think we're not there yet. And so Peter, again, gives us an even further example. He fleshes this out, this time not in his words and his writing, but in his very life. The Gospel of John tells us of the moment that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and a group came to seek him, to arrest him. And as Peter watched all of this great evil unfold, he was moved to retaliate. And we're told in John 18, verse 10, then Simon Peter, having drawn a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in a sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that I have been given? Notice what Jesus says to Peter. Your retaliation, Peter, is getting in the way of me going to the cross. You see, when we respond to evil with evil, we're not just letting sin win, but we are hindering the gospel from doing its reconciling work. And so finally, the third thing I want us to see this morning and the most important is that we are called to bless because Christ has blessed us. So I want you to picture it. Uh, Dave and I, they're in our front yard and he looks at me and says, so you're a Christian. And Jesus says, love your enemies. How am I supposed to do that? How do I do that? How would you have answered him? What would you have said to Dave? Peter gives us the answer at the end of verse 9. He says, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, one way to read this is to see bless so that you will be blessed. In other words, that's our motivation. You should go out and bless others, and if you do, you will also be blessed. And and I, I, listen, I, I get and I believe that there is great blessing in blessing others, but I don't think that's what Peter is telling us. Specifically, because notice what he says, for to this you were called. In other words, it's past tense. This has already happened you have already been blessed, so be a blessing. It's just as God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Bless, Peter says, because you have already been blessed. He's used this kind of thinking before. Notice the same kind of language back in 1 Peter 2:21. He says, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. When Jesus Christ faced the greatest persecution the world has ever known, he didn't fight back. He didn't seek revenge. No, he endured it. And he went to the cross. Why? Jesus Christ died and he rose for you. He bore your sin, he bore your shame. He died in your place so that you would receive the blessings of God. I want you to grab your bulletin and turn to our profession of faith. It's taken from Ephesians 1. I'm going to read it again. This time I don't want you to read it yourself. I just want you to listen. And I encourage you to take this bulletin home this morning and use it this week during devotionals. Read it. Listen. Number the blessings that God has given you in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear them now. Ephesians 1 verse 3. as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. Friends, Jesus did all of this for you. He has immeasurably blessed you and what is so unbelievable is that he did all of this not for a bunch of people who had been blessing him, Not for a bunch of people who loved him or a friend to him. Jesus Christ exceedingly blessed us while we were his enemies. Paul says in Romans 5 that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. We were the ones that reviled him. We were the ones that persecuted him. We were the ones that cursed him. but when we reviled Jesus, he did not revile us in return. And when we cursed Jesus, he did not curse us. Jesus Christ became a curse for us so that all those who believe in him would receive their immeasurable blessings of his glorious grace. And so, friends, fellow surgeons, fulfill your calling as one who's been exceedingly blessed in Jesus Christ. Bless, bless one another. Bless those within the community. Don't just come to consume, but be a blessing to those around you within the church. But more than that, be a blessing to those outside the church and especially to those who seek to curse you. Why? Because Jesus Christ has blessed us exceedingly with the grace of the gospel so that we might bring the blessings of God to a broken world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that your son Jesus did not revile when we reviled him. That he did not curse us when we cursed him, but he became a curse for us. And so, Father, we pray as we leave this morning that we would know the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we receive these blessings this morning, would we though, then go, would we bless one another? Would we bless those who don't know you? Father, enable us to bring the blessings of Christ to a broken world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.